You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Thinking Talmudist Podcast. All right, we're now in Tractate Yoma, which is about Yoma, the day. What's the day? The day of Yom Kippur. And in Tractate Yoma, you can imagine that there's more than one conversation that talks about repentance. And the Talmud here on 86a, all the way on the bottom, says the following. The Gemara records a series of Agadic teachings that each begin Great is repentance. Great is repentance. Repentance is so powerful. Amrav Chama, Barchanina of Chama, the son of Rabbi Chanina says, Great is repentance, for it brings healing to the world. Yes, Bruce. Great is repentance, for it brings healing to the world. Shenemar Erpa Mishuvasam Ohavem Nedava. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them freely. A related teaching, Rabbi Chama Barachanina Rami. Rabbi Chama Barachanina pointed out a contradiction. Ksiv, shuvu The verse states in Jeremiah, Return, O wayward children, the meikara shovim atem, which implies that you will be regarded as though you were wayward from the beginning. This is after repentance, the sin is viewed as having resulted from the wayward immaturity of youth, for which the sinner is not responsible because they were a child. Thus, the sin is eradicated completely. But it also says, I will heal your waywardness, which implies that the penitence is regarded as an invalid who has been healed. This indicates that even after repentance, the taint of sin still remains. So the contradiction is resolved. The Gemara says, Lokasha. It's not difficult. Kan mi'ava, kan mi'ira. Here's where someone repented, motivated by love, and here's where one repented being motivated by fear. The Gemara now says another teaching based on the, the last verse. Rabbi Yehuda, Rami, Rabbi Yehuda pointed out the following contradiction. It says, Banim shovavim erpam Return, O wayward children, I will heal your waywardness. Stating children, this verse teaches that God relates to penitence like a father to his children. Why? It says in the verse, which is the contradiction here, Ki anochi boalti bochem, velakachti eschem echod meir vishnaim umishmimishpacha. For I shall be your master, I shall take you even one from a city and two from a family. Here, Scripture likens the relationship between God and penitence to that of a relationship between a master and his slaves. So, is it a father to a son, or is it master to a slave? The Gemara says, Lokasha. It's not difficult. Kan me'ahava, kan me'yira. Over here, the repentance came as a motivation of love, and over here, it came as a motivation of fear. Kan ali de'yusurim, and whereas here, in the verse that describes penitence as slaves, is reference to those who repent as a result of suffering. Okay, so there's one type of repentance, which is a repentance of love or a repentance of fear. And then there's another one, where he repents because he's suffering. He has no choice. He's pushed into a corner. What are you going to do? Another teaching about the greatness of Teshuvah. 
Okay, so first let's talk about what it, what is repentance out of love and what is repentance out of fear. So you know, we discussed this previously. What's the difference between love and fear? Love is when you love someone, you feel like anything you did is a rebellion to the relationship. Even if it's something small. It's a rebellion to the relationship because I have such love for you. Therefore, anything that I may have done is a an objection to the relationship, to where my feelings are. So that's, I just have this incredible love and I'm, I feel unwhole with this deed that I did. So imagine that with, with our creator. And God gives us everything and we love God so much and God loves us so much. And here we kind of blew that relationship. So what do we do now? So what we need to do is we need to be very, very sincere in this being a rebellion in our relationship. Okay. But what is fear? Fear is not that I have a love for God per se, but it's I have a fear. I'm terrified that I'm going to get beaten up. God's going to punish me. I don't want to get punished, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. But it's not that. Which one is a better? It's like, think of a child. A child does something wrong. So why does the child apologize to his parent? Because he loves his parent and he realizes that this is, it's, it's in contradiction to my relationship with my dad or my mom. Or if he's just afraid, he's apologizing because he's afraid of punishment. I don't want my dad to, to take away my bicycle. I don't want, you know, I don't want the retribution. So which one is a more sincere, more genuine repentance? One that comes out of love. That's the highest. Second is fear. But then there's another level, which is a third level. And that third level is repentance from pain, which is, uh, I'm suffering. I have no choice. I'm going to have to I'll look at my ways and realize why God did this to me. Now, I will tell you, my great-grandfather, has in his masterpiece book called Torah Savram, Rabbi Avram Grudzinski, my great-grandfather, my grandmother's father, and he was the spiritual leader in the city, great city of Slobodka, and he said something, he taught something so amazing. He said that God, when prophecy was removed from this world, today we don't have prophets, we have torch, like a non-for-profit, but we don't have prophets. So, so what do we do without prophets? Who's going to tell us? Who's going to guide us on the path we should take? So a great-grandfather brings that today the prophet is pain. The prophet is pain. Pain is where God already communicates, gives you the potch, and now you're like, ow, it hurts. Why did I get that potch? Oh, my I went down the wrong path. I made a mistake. I didn't do something the way I was supposed to. I made a, I, I erred here. I erred there. I did something wrong. Oh, now you're coming after you got the punishment. So it's a good thing you, you learned the lesson. That's great. But what's more important is if we're able to elevate that, that it be one rung higher, which is the level of fear, and one rung higher than that, the highest level, the rung of love. The highest form of repentance is repentance out of love. 
I rebelled in my relationship with God. Number two is where I repent out of fear. And then level three, the worst, uh, the lowest of the levels is where I repent out of pain. I'm afflicted with pain and that's why I'm repenting. Let's talk about a different idea in the topic of repentance, something that's so powerful. So the Talmud says the following. Amar Rabbi Levi, Rabbi Levi said, Gedola teshuva shemagas at Tshuva, repentance, is so great that it reaches onto the divine throne. Shenemar, as it says, Shuva Yisrael ad Hashem lokecha, return, O Israel, unto Hashem your God. Says the Holy Talmud here on the top of 86b. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan said, Great, so great is repentance that it overrides a negative commandment of the Torah. As it states, God spoke saying, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and marries another man, can he return to her again? No. We know the Torah last week's parasha we learned. A man who divorces his wife gives her a get. She goes and she's with. she marries another man. She can never go back to her original husband again. Would that not bring profound guilt upon the land? You have committed adultery with many lovers and are now returning to me, the word of Hashem, where Hashem is comparing a metaphor of a married couple to describe the relationship between us and Hashem. We go astray and we come back to Hashem. We say, oh, we want to come back. What do you mean you want to come back? You were just rebellious in every way possible. What do you mean you want to come back? Yet Hashem loves our closeness, and Hashem says, you can come back. The wife can't go back to her husband, but we can always come back to Hashem. Oma Rabbi Yonasan. Rabbi Yonasan says, Repentance is so great that it brings the redemption closer. Shenemar, as it states, A redeemer will come to Zion and to those of Jacob who repent, from willful sin. The verse can be rendered as Why? What is the reason that the Redeemer comes to Zion? Why? Because there are those in, ja- in, in Jacob, in the Jewish people, that repent from willful sin. The Gemara now continues, and the Gemara gives another example. Amar Rishlakish says, Gedola Chuvish is donos nasis lo lishgagos. Repentance is so great that willful transgression that are repented for are transferred into inadvertent errors. It's like if you get a, a, a if you get a, a felony uh, for speeding and they turn it into a moving into a non-moving violation parking ticket. 
They lower the, they downgrade the penalty. Return, O Israel, unto Hashem your God, for you have stumbled in your iniquity, in your avon. Ha avon mezid. We see that avon means willful sin. And then it says michshol, that it was a stumbling. You have stumbled. So what is it saying? It's taking your intentional sin and making it into a unintentional sin. Aini, is this so? That willful transgression is treated like inadvertent sins if you repent? Well, Amar Rishlakish, Rishlakish himself said, It's not true because we learn from a different Talmud that says that someone who repents from intentional sins, it doesn't turn into unintentional sins, inadvertent sins. It turns into mitzvahs. So what are you telling me here that it turns into an inadvertent sin? Shenemar, and he brings a proof to it. That a wicked person turns away from his wickedness and behaves with justice and righteousness. He shall live on account of them. He shall live, meaning it's going to give him life. What gives him life? Mitzvahs. Not sins. So how can it be? There's a contradiction here. The Gemara says it's not. It's not not difficult. Lo kasha. It's not difficult. Kan me'ava. When a person repents out of love, that's when it turns into a mitzvah. But if a person repents out of fear, then it turns to an inadvertent sin. It's it's an incredible thing. An incredible, incredible thing, the power of teshuva. So why? I ask you, my dear friends, why does the Talmud say that someone who repents out of love, it turns into a mitzvah? How does a sin, you do something wrong, it turns into a mitzvah? Okay, anybody been married for more than 24 hours? Anybody know that when you get married, sometimes, very rarely, right, doctor? Sometimes, very rarely, you'll get into a disagreement with your spouse, right? Anybody, by show of hands, have a difficult argument or disagreement with your spouse where it, it becomes uh, difficult, the, relation becomes, the relationship becomes very difficult and strained, yeah, everybody, show of hands. There we go. So now what happens when you work through that difficulty? And by the way, that difficulty is like, let's say, the low of the relationship. Because sometimes can it can be a little bit challenging. You're like wondering, uh-oh, what's going on here? What happens when you work through it? The relationship skyrockets and goes to the highest level of love. You know, when you take an EKG, what happens? The EKG goes up and down, up and down, up and down, right? I don't like down. I just like up, right? But you can't have a steady state of up. You can't have a steady line because that's really no good. Trust me. But when you have an up and a down, that's when you have a healthy person, when you have a balanced up and down. A relationship is the same thing. You know what? You're going to make mistakes. 
But when you're able to accept accountability for those mistakes, what happens to that relationship? And you apologize. The relationship grows so much stronger that it's almost like the relationship became, you're more in love now because of that tension that was there. Our relationship with God is identical to the relationship with our spouse. When we do a sin between us and God, that creates a tension in our relationship with God. But when we do tshuva, when we repent, the relationship grows so much more. The relationship gets elevated a whole new level to the point where the Talmud says that their sins turn into a mitzvah. It's like that fight was really a falling in love. That's how powerful, true, sincere repentance. That's what true, sincere repentance does. It brings the entire relationship into a relationship of mitzvah, into a relationship of connection, of devotion. It's an unbelievable thing. The Talmud continues now. Amr Reb Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Amr Reb Yonasan. Reb Shmuel, the son of Reb Nachmani, said in the name of Reb Yonasan, G'dol Tshuva, Shema'areches Shnosav Shal Adam. Repentance is so great, it lengthens the years of a person. You want to live a long life? Repent. Shenemar Bishuv Rosha Mirish Aso Choyo Yichya. And when the wicked man turns away from his wickedness, he will surely live. Live, he will live, it says. Let me tell you something. When someone lives in a difficult relationship with a parent, a spouse, a child, a relative, a sibling, that tension is not healthy. That tension causes a shortness of life. It causes pain. That pain takes us away from our lives. Do you want to live a long life? The Talmud here tells you what to do. When a person makes amends, you know what? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy to call up that that estranged child. You know what? I was right. I have heard people tell me, I say, why don't you just pick up the phone and call them? Just call them. Just say, you know what? You made a mistake. They don't want to talk to me. Try. Feel the pain. Make them whole. Make yourself whole. Talmud talks about what happens if someone doesn't forgive. You ask multiple times, and then what happens if they pass away and you didn't attain forgiveness? There's a whole process. You go to their grave site with a bunch of other people, and you have a formal request. You ask three times for forgiveness, and it's guaranteed that they're going to forgive. Why? Because in the heavenly court, people see things the way they are. They see things in a lens of truth, in a lens of genuine sincerity. And there's no personal animus anymore. It's what's really happening here. 
So when a person is dealing with a challenge, you hurt somebody, someone hurt you, figure out a way to make amends. Figure out a way to remove the barriers. Because that will, A, make you much closer, but B, it'll give you long life. And I believe that someone who always says nice things about other people, someone who always feels nice things about other people, someone who always has a nice word to say about someone else, to someone else, encouraging words. And it isn't in a quarrel with anyone. You know, a Kohen cannot bless the congregation if they're in a fight with someone. If a Kohen is in a quarrel, they cannot bless the congregation. You know why? Because if you have a barrier here, you have a barrier there, you can't, you can't do your job. The best way for us to ensure our own longevity, of course, take your vitamins, of course, do your exercise, but more important than all of that, make sure you don't have strained relationships. And if you do, figure them out. Invest time. Make it a priority. Call up that person and say, you know something? I'm sorry. Now is the time, by the way. Right before Rosh Hashanah, right before Yom Kippur, the halacha said, we learned this in our Everyday Judaism podcast just this week. Don't wait till Yom Kippur to do repentance. You can already start before Rosh Hashanah. To spend time thinking this past year, who may, have, who may I have hurt? Who may I have insulted, neglected, offended? Interpersonal. And then, of course, between us and the Almighty. This is our responsibility. And if we're able to, we need to do everything we can to ensure that we're whole with everyone and that we're not carrying around the burden and that people aren't holding a grudge against us. People aren't walking around hurt from us because that can also cause us damage. I'm fine. I have no problems. Me, nothing bothers me. I'm okay. But other people holding a grudge on us isn't either good. Okay. Talmud now continues. Omar Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak says, Amri b'ma'arava mishmei de Rabba bar more. In the West, in the land of Israel, they used to say in the name of Rabba bar Mari, Bo See that the manner in which God deals with things is unlike and is very different than how Flesh and blood deal with things. Midas basavadam, the manner of flesh and blood. Maknitis chaver badvaram, if one aggravates his fellow with words. Suffolk mispayes himenu, suffolk ain mispayes himenu. It's a matter of doubt whether or not the victim will be placated by him or not. Will you be appeased by his apology? Viim tomer mispayes himenu, and if you say that he is placated, and it's resolved. Suffolk mispice bidvorum, suffolk and mispice bidvorum. It is a matter of doubt whether he will be placated through 
just words or whether he will not be placated through words. But the Almighty, Adam over Avir if a man commits a sin in secret, he's placated with words. That's enough. Shenemar Take words with you and return to Hashem. Words. Just say, I'm sorry. That's it. Words. Words. Furthermore, God even accounts his repentance as a good deed. Shenemar, as it states, and accept good. Furthermore, the repentance is regarded by Scripture as though he had offered a sacrificial bull. Shenemar v'nishalma porems fosenu. Shematomer pore chova. Lest you say that this refers to sacrificial bulls that are obligatory. Talmud Loma, the Torah therefore states later in that passage, Arpe mishuvasam ohaveim nedava. I will heal their waywardness. I will love them freely. What happens when we repent? Even you didn't sin in public. You didn't go out in the middle of the street and desecrate God's name. It was private. I was in my own room, my own home, and I sinned. Nobody knows about it. It's just me and God, my own account with God. It's not like I have to do a public apology. Hashem, I did something wrong. I embarrassed your name. I desecrated your name in public. No, 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 no. It was private. All you have to do is have a talk with God. And God makes it as if you brought him offerings. Not, not only in the stand of the power, the power of repentance is so great that it's like you brought an offering that's loved by the Almighty. The Gemara now continues. Tanya, we learn in a Bryson. Rabbi Meir Omer, Rabbi Meir would say, Great is repentance. It is so great repentance that on the account of an individual who repented, the entire world is forgiven. You hear this, Bruce? Is that amazing? One person repents, the entire world is forgiven. What, what, what is this? What do you mean the entire world? And he brings a verse. The same verse. Why? And he brings, he brings the last word is mimenu. Mimenu, it's from him the entire world is repent, it, is, it receives atonement. We see this with Moshe. Moshe asked for forgiveness and the entire Jewish people were forgiven. Do you understand that if the world has a decree from the heavens. There's a decree from the heavens that something terrible should happen to the world. One person does teshuva. One person repents. can save the entire world. This was the case with Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where Abraham says for one, for, for, first for 50, for 40, for 30, for 20, for 10, but there weren't even 10. But you ever wonder... Where does Abraham get the ability to negotiate with God? You know why? No, no, no. It's all in our Torah. Even for one person can save the world. I'm sure that if Abraham was part of that city, it would have been one. So the Talmud here says, 
the Gemara defines complete repentance. What is complete repentance? What is complete repentance? Amr Rav Yehuda, Rav Yehuda says, Kigon shebas liyado dvar avera pam rishono ushniya v'nitzalaymeno. When an opportunity for sin comes his way, and this is a sin that he had committed in the past, it comes once, it comes twice, v'nitzalaymeno, and he protects himself and saves himself from that sin on both occasions, that is considered a real teshuva. So let's say this. Someone was tempted. He's out in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, you know what? Nobody's going to know if I walk into a Denny's, not kosher, and get some some food. I'm going to get some food. Nobody knows. Nobody knows I'm Jewish. It's not like I'm desecrating God's name, walking with my yarmulke and my tzitzis. Take the yarmulke off. Take the tzitzis off. I walk in. I look like a regular Joe Schmo with my New York Yankees baseball cap. Nobody knows I'm Jewish. Okay. You walk into Denny's. Heaven forbid. And you get your non-kosher food and you eat your non-kosher food and now you're like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Hashem commands in Leviticus 11 all of the things you should not eat because it's a contamination for your soul. And here I went ahead and rebelled against God and ate this junk. What am I going to do now? I start crying and asking Hashem for forgiveness. Hashem, please forgive me. Hashem, please forgive me. And you know what happens? Hashem says, I'm going to forgive you because you did it out of love. Because you feel like you rebelled in our relationship. Not because you're afraid of retribution. That's tier two. Talk about the highest level. I rebelled in my relationship against God. So now what happens? If you pass by Denny's two more times and you don't fall into that temptation, that's considered someone who has attained the high level of teshuva. Unbelievable. You think it's not attainable? It's the most attainable thing in the world. You want, you know what? How many times have we said, you know what? I'm going to try not to do something. Well, I'm not going to try not to insult someone in public. And then you have an opportunity to, to give a good zinger and to really hammer hammer at somebody in that in that boardroom you can say something nasty and you don't say it you hold back because you asked for forgiveness you you asked for forgiveness you asked Hashem to forgive you for what you've done or asked that person if two more opportunities came your way and you withstood that challenge then you're a person of complete teshuva a baal teshuva a baal teshuva means you're the owner of teshuva you're the master of teshuva. You don't have to finish school. You can become a master's, a master's in teshuva. That's really what it is. It's someone who had that same temptation come again and again, and they've just been able to shut it out, block it out, remove it from their life. And in fact, not only that, someone who changes their path to connect with Hashem is considered a Baal Teshuvah. What does that mean? But the thing is, today, we don't consider someone who is not observing of the Torah, we don't consider them a sinner. We consider them an abducted child. What's an abducted child? Someone who's abducted by captors and does terrible things later in their life. Do you blame them? No. 
they, they never went to school. They were never educated. They never had a, law, a, a loving, warm environment. They were growing, grow, they, they grew up in, in, in the slums. They're a captive child. A captive child is not considered accountable for those mistakes. Why? Can't blame him. They didn't, they didn't have the, the upbringing that would give them the values that the Torah says. The halacha says, today our rabbis tell us it's considered a, a, a captive child and not held accountable as typical. It's unbelievable. Which, which means that it's easier today for someone to become a Baal Teshuvah. A child who's gr- grown up on a farm Right? When they're five years old, they know how to milk a cow. They know how to t- take them out for pasture. They know what they're doing because they they grow up with this. Someone who only comes to it when they're 60 years old, you can't expect them to, in, in a second, oh, you, we showed you what to do. You should know what to do. That's not, that's not the case. Right? 60 years he has of not being a farmer, of not being a shepherd. He has no idea what he's doing. I showed it to you. I showed you what to do. No, 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 no. He, it takes a long time to really absorb and you'll never be able to catch up. What that five-year-old has absorbed in those five years can take 30 years to, to absorb. So it's not so simple that you say, well, someone who comes to learn a torch for 10 years, that's it. You're downhill from here because, you know, no, it, it, it takes a long time for that, that transformation to, 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 to occur. And it's the, the, the objective here and the objective of a torch, my objective is not that anybody who comes and learns with us or listens to these recordings uh, online on video or on podcast. It's not for anyone to be like me. That's not the objective. The objective is that every person should be the greatest version of themselves they can possibly create. And everyone is, that's unique. So the ed that you're talking about is, is there's a singular vision that God has of what ed can become based on his childhood, based on his upbringing, based on his intellect, based on his success in his, in his, in his livelihood, the, the base, based on his, uh, on his circumstances in life, Hashem wants you to get to a certain place. Based on all of your previous history, right now, you have a special mission that's your mission. And each and every one of us here, we have our own mission that's unique to us. And nobody can go over to you and say, oh, you should have been this or you should be doing that. Every person has to introspect, which is why Rosh Hashanah is such an important and crucial time for us to start thinking, one second, what am I supposed to be doing? How do I maximize who I am? How do I be the best version of myself? Well, I have no idea. Get to know yourself. That's what you got to do. You got to get to know who we are. That's our obligation. So I don't, I don't think you should beat up yourself and say, oh, what's with me? Oh, Gavalt, right? No. On the contrary, you say, you know what? I have now another day, year, decade to live, however long we have. That's a lot of time to change. But every person has their own thing. I, I can't tell you what that is. 
I know what I need to do, uh, some of, somewhat of what I need to do to become a better person and to enhance my, you know, think of it like this. You know, you know those the the, uh, the wars they do with with food. How do you call it? They, they in the kitchen. They put you in into the kitchen, right? They have like five different teams or ten different teams, and they give you certain ingredients. Everyone has different ingredients. Who can make the best dish? Right? Hell's Kitchen. Okay, so one of those things. So so let me ask you a question. What's if I tell them, hey, it's not fair. If you would have given me his meat and you would have given me those ingredients, you would have given me that and give me this, give me that, then I'd be able to make the best dish. But that's not what you were given. That's not what you were given. You have to make the best with what you were given. Your circumstances, with your life, with your upbringing, with your education, with your intelligence, with your charisma, with your personality, with your charm, with your qualities and your virtues and your flaws, you've got to make the best dish you can make. No one is going to tell a a Tommy, Tommy, why weren't you like Harvey? And no one's going to say, Harvey, why weren't you like Ed? That's not going to be the question. The question is going to be, Mark, why weren't you Mark? That's going to be the question. I gave you these tools. I gave you all of these ingredients. Why didn't you make the best possible salad, food, life from the ingredients I gave you? You never thought Hell's Kitchen would make it into uh, into our class, did you? What do we call that? The dog show uh, parable? Dog show parable. Dogs are not judged based on other dogs. They're judged based on their breed. Well, each one of us are our own breed. Each one of us are our own breed. You're unique and you're special and they will never... Mark, you hear this? They will never, ever be a Mark again on planet Earth like you. And the reason why you are here today is because what God wants exactly this Mark here today to accomplish to do amazing things. If he wanted you to be someone else, he would have created someone else, but he didn't. He wanted you to be you. This is the importance of talking about teshuva. This is the importance of preparing ourselves for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, getting into the frame of mind of real transformative change. Let's continue and see another piece of Gemara. So the Gemara here goes into different types of, the Gemara is now going to uh, uh, um, treat different types of transgressors and, and sinners different ways. There's, though, okay, so the Gemara says, Amar of Yehuda, Rav Rami, Rav brought a contradiction. It says, Ashrei Nesui Fesha, Kisui Chata. Fortunate is one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is concealed. So the Gemara says, but it says elsewhere, one who conceals his sin will not succeed. So the Gemara says, no, no, no. This is not a contradiction. Let me explain to you. He says, who bechet mefursam? This second verse, which objects to the concealment of wrongdoing, deals with a sin that is widely known already. Did it in public. Everybody knows the sin. 
who ha bechet she'enam eforsam. But the first verse, which advocates concealment, deals with a sin that is not widely known. Meaning, it wasn't public. Remember the sin that happened with in front of uh, Pinchas, where you had Zimri and Cosby doing an illicit act in front of the congregation, in front of the court, in front of the rabbis, in front of the sages, the elders, to show, ah, we're going to show. It's a public sin. Public sin, that's very severe. Because someone who sins, we said, what is a sin? A sin is bringing a barrier between us and God. But what happens when someone sins publicly? They're basically saying, I have my barrier and I think all of you should join me in having that barrier. That's the worst thing in the world. You see, the Torah prohibits mesis umediach. What's a mesis umediach? Someone who tries to instigate others. He tries to influence others to do sin. I'm a bad guy. You come be a bad guy with me and then we'll all be bad guys and then it'll be just good to be bad. Korach was an example. Additionally, another way to resolve that contradiction is kan This is from Rav Zuta, Zutra, the son of Tovia, who said it in the name of Rav Nachman, kan This is regarding sins of man and his fellow and these are sins between man and God. So to understand this, in the best way possible is that when we sin against God, it's a much easier process. You have to be sincere, you have to be genuine, and you talk to God and you seek his forgiveness. But if you sin against another man, you've got to go to that person and ask them for forgiveness. And if they say no, you got to go back and ask again. And if they say no, you got to go back and ask again. And you're not forgiven till you receive that forgiveness. There's nobody. There's nobody who lives a life in this world that doesn't sin. We all make mistakes, which is why we're called Adam. We're man. We're simple. But we have the ability to be great. Even Moses, the greatest of all men, sinned. But we have to seek forgiveness. How do you do that? You do that with the Almighty by talking to Him directly. But when you sin against your fellow, if you sin by stealing, you have to pay it back. If you sin by deception, you have to ask forgiveness. You sin by insulting, by words, you have to ask forgiveness. You sin by humiliation, you have to ask forgiveness. You say something about a person in public, in front of them, their humility, they, they storm out of the room in embarrassment, you spill their blood. You've spilled their blood. A husband and a wife, our sages tell us that the closer you are in a relationship, the more careful you have to be in that regard. Yeah, your children, ah, you can be Hamish with them. You can be homie with them. Oh, it's just my kid. Just my child. No. To be more careful. It's just my wife. To be more careful. It's okay. We're family. No. I remember when I got married, we had a group of young married couples. We would go together. And to me, I remember I, I told my wife, I said, 
I really don't like going out with these friends anymore. I always hear the husband is, you know, in, in, in a way of trying to sound like we're so casual and friendly with each other that they would put their wife down or the wife would put the husband down. And I was like, I don't, I don't like that. I, I, I want, I want my relationship with my wife to be one where I elevate, where we pick each other up, where we put each other on a pedestal. Not where I knock them down and insult them and hurt them just to be popular with the boys. I don't, I don't understand that whole thing. Yeah, I didn't like it. So I don't want to hang out with, with, with you know certain people. It's not a healthy environment. It's not because it leads to terrible things. And people have feelings. People have emotions. As tough as people try to be on Facebook and you and Twitter, we're human beings. And we have parents and we have children and we have siblings and we have conscience, hopefully. We need to be very careful. So we're going to continue. God willing, next week we'll continue and see more of this Talmud. Till then, have a great Shabbos and Shabbat Shalom.